Good morning. I want you to open with me today in prayer that we may call upon the Lord to speak to us in a true and mighty way that we may learn from His Word. Would you pray with me this morning? Good and holy God, we call upon you today to speak to us, to guide us, to bathe us in your word. Lord, that we may not find anything else in our time valuable that is not entrenched and wrapped around your word for your glory and teaching us to love you more every day and love others like we love ourselves. God, that we would be able to dutifully keep your commands. We would be able to dutifully keep your words and your statutes and your ordinances, not for the sake of earning your favor or your love, but because we are already loved and highly favored. Lord, would you teach us from your word that we may learn from the past, that we may change the present and the future for your glory and your honor. The vintage church, Lord, would be known as a church that honored you by our actions, by our life, by doing your will for your glory. We praise you, we love you, and God, by our lives, may we honor you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I, I understand that, um, and you will understand this more, especially if you've read ahead, especially if you've read into our verses today, you will understand what I'm about to say, but I understand that our verses today are not going to be ones that any church ever would be caught dead as making a special banner for or having a, having a sermon series about. As a matter of fact, Stephen sent me an emoji that had dead eyes and RIP beside it. As I'm just kidding. But both Blake and Stephen did text me this week and say, uh, God bless you and may the odds be ever in your favor on this one. Because the text today is not pretty. It's not desirable. As a matter of fact, I was looking at my time hop thing on Facebook this morning, and it said something so beautiful and so encouraging. It said, I am so looking forward to preaching Exodus 3 today on so-and-so, so-and-so. It is one of my favorite things that I've read in Exodus thus far. And I was, like, super excited. And if I, if I wrote a Facebook status about today for the time hop next year, it would be like, this is not something that I'm looking forward to today. To today, uh, as a matter of fact, if the Ten Commandments were sort of the the pinnacle of the Exodus series for me so far, this would definitely be the valley. I don't say this though to make you think that God's word is some way fallible or or it's marred in any way. I say this because there are just some things in the Word of God that finite minds cannot understand. There's reasoning, there's logic, there's things that are thought out by an infinite mind that finite minds can't understand. Some things in the Word of God that take comprehension at times that even all humans lack. And I think this is one of those set of verses. Specifically because this, this verse, our verses today, Exodus 21, 1-11, deal with the practice of slavery or servanthood. So I, I want to read our verses today, and what I'm going to do, I'm telling you, this is not going to be, you wouldn't, you're not going to find, if they make a highlight reel of my sermons one day, this is not going to be one of them. Okay, this is not going to be on there. As a matter of fact, days like today, they're ones I don't, it's the reason I don't want to record sermons and post them publicly. It's the reason I don't like the idea of doing live sermons and posting them publicly. Because any clip, any excerpt can be taken. For, there are going to be things that I say today that someone can take a one-minute clip of and try to ruin my life. I'm just going to be honest with you. 
This is just the way it's going to go. That's the way it could be. I'm not, no one's going to do that, but I'm not that important. I'd have to be more important for that. But, um, but that's, the, that's the deal. So this is, that's one of the reasons why I don't like, you know, sort of recording. You know, we do them for, practical, for practical purposes, but this is not going to be on my, my highlight reel uh, a vintage church, most awesome slam dunk sermons or whatever um, that you look on YouTube later. Um, but God's Word is infallible. And it is profitable. It's not every verse is equally profitable, but it is pro- every verse is profitable. And so one of the things I love about Vintage Church is that we preach through the Bible chapter by chapter, book by book, but chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and even the hard things. But one of the things I hate about the way I preach is that we preach the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and I have to preach through the hard things. I can't just skip over this. So I want us to read our verse today since I've given you enough, uh, whatever that's called, you know, uh, preface and warning and whatever, maybe a little bit too much. I tend to do that in life anyway. But I want us to look at Exodus 21, and literally it's titled in my Bible as something that should just make you happy about it anyway. It's Laws About Slaves. All right, there we go. Exodus 21, 1-11 is what we'll focus on today. But I think what you will do when you leave here today, what I hope is, I think you will have a different image of what the Bible says about slavery, servanthood and slavery in general, and maybe a little bit of what we can do in response. I'm hoping for those things today. Exodus 21, 1-11. Now these are the rules that you shall set before them. When you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve six years, and in the seventh he shall go out free for nothing. If he comes in single, he shall go out single. If he comes in married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons and daughters, the wife and her children shall be her masters, and he shall go out alone. But if the slave plainly says... I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an owl, and he shall be his slave forever. When a man sells his daughter as a slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not, Please her master, who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to a foreign people, since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as with a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food, her clothing, or her marital rights. And if he does not do these things for her, she shall go out for nothing without payment of money. If you were not deeply encouraged by that and just ready to win the world for Jesus, there is something wrong with you. What a heavy set of verses, right? One of the things that I've thought about today is just as... as the, the most difficult part of preaching this today is trying to take the time and the effort to be sensitive to everybody who might hear this in this room or in the future. It's important because we cannot look at slavery or servanthood or anything that this set of verses says and just look at them flippantly or lightly. Today we come up on the sur- subject of slavery, which really on any scale is a hotbed issue, but especially in the climate we live in today where racial tensions and hate seem to be growing, where distrust for authority or truth, especially the Bible, uh, is at an all-time high. Now, although this text has been uh, extremely challenging for me as I've studied and researched um, By studying it, I think we will be, and I have become better equipped, better equipped to handle objections to God as a just God and to the Bible as a book, an authoritative book to follow. We come to this subject of slavery as it is discussed in the Bible, and we look at the Holy Spirit for the first time maybe ever, and we're like, bro, you didn't give me a ton to work with here. You didn't give me a ton to rally behind. 
you may have questions like, why doesn't the Bible just come out right and condemn slavery? After all, if you aren't condemning something, aren't you, in a way, condoning it? We might uh, think it would be simple to do, or, or maybe uh, you did think that the Bible came out right and condemned slavery before today. And then we read our text today, and it says stuff like, when you buy a Hebrew slave, or when a man sells his daughter, and you're thinking, Lord, you've just given these commands. It would be so easy not to say those words. We look at it and we think, how inhumane. Shouldn't it just say, don't buy slaves and and don't sell your daughter? We look further and we see governances for slavery in the Old Testament. But we don't see a command to abolish slavery. It doesn't really get much better in the New Testament, right? We see verses in Ephesians like, which we love Ephesians, right? But we see verses in Ephesians like Ephesians 5, 5 through 9. It says, slaves... Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you obey Christ. Obey masters, slave, just as you obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are a slave or free, and Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, uh, he is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with them. Okay, so Ephesians doesn't help us much. 1 Timothy 6 um, doesn't help us much. A slave is taught to show full respect. Titus 2, which is one of the great discipleship chapters in the Bible, we are told to teach believing slaves to stay subject to their master for the sake of the gospel. We look at these things and we think, if the God of the Bible is going to write a set of commands to follow, why doesn't he just go ahead and write out slavery altogether? Why wouldn't he use this opportunity to make what is seemingly a massive, worldly, human rights wrong right? I want us to consider a few things. And you need to hear me as a great sort of um, a preface, a, another preface, a side preface sermon, whatever you want to call it. You need to hear me. In no way is anything I'm saying today going to, can be even remotely taken as uh, condoning slavery or servanthood. So you need to hear that at the very beginning. Um, even if I say, well, you need to, this, these are things to consider. That is still not condoning slavery. That is just giving you some ideas to think about as you're thinking about this subject. So what I want to do is I want to look at uh, these um, considerations as it concerns servanthood, as it concerns slavery. And the first is this. The word for slave is ebed. E-B-E-D. It's the Hebrew word abed. And it is translated in many different ways other than just slave. As a matter of fact, it is translated slave, servant, or manservant. The authorized version has it 744 times as servant. As servant. It can mean someone who is a willing servant, someone who was sold themselves into slavery, or even one uh, as spoils of war. It is most often does not mean slavery as we might think of it. Mostly this is referring to someone who is massively and deeply poor and is a servant to pay off a debt or a servant in order to survive. Now, I know that the revelation of what the word abed means is not going to change your mind much about uh, God's treatment about slavery, but it is helpful to understand that the idea behind this word that is used for slavery, servant, manservant, is most often used as servant. Number two, it will help, these is another thing that will help you understand the context with which God writes these laws um, for slavery, for servanthood. Number two, slavery existed long before these commands were written. And guess what? It has been outlawed. And guess what? Still exists. Slavery was written long before these commands were written. Slavery existed long before these commands were written. And it still exists long 
after. This section of Exodus is called the Book of Covenant. It is a section of three chapters where God lays out some practical ways to live, uh, to live out the Decalogue, to live out the Ten Commandments. It's basically these three chapters are the first instances of case law in the world. This section is not God trying to change societal norms as much as it is teaching God's people to live in holiness with what is accepted in society. Do you understand that? It is teaching God's people, God is writing these laws and these commands to teach God's people to live, to redeem what is accepted in society, to live in holiness in that manner. This would be like God coming down to us this morning and giving us a set of statutes to to follow concerning abortion. We know abortion is legal. It's legal in the United States. It's legal in most of the world. Um, And God... It would be like God coming down and saying, look, do not, the first rule is don't bomb abortion clinics. That's the first rule. The second rule is um, uh, support and love people who have gone through abortion. The third rule is offer, this is what, this is the same equivalent. God is teaching his people to live within societal norms in a holy and righteous way. Slavery existed long before these commands were written, and it still exists. So God's people need to know how to exist in a society where unjust things happen. There are a few things we also need to consider, though, as it concerns slavery in ancient times. Now, this might seem like a cop-out, but you need to hear this. This type of slavery and servanthood God is prescribing is more like a boss and employee than what we know of slavery, than our experience of slavery. I know it often seems like a cop-out. You may have even heard people say this about American slavery. Like, well, most most of the people in in the Deep South were willing to stay slaves. And, and, you know, they they liked it. Their their masters were even good to them. That's more than likely not true. But this ancient system of servanthood, this ancient system of slavery was more like a boss and employee. Often in the ancient world, things were this way. People would work uh, and their pay would be a place to stay, food, clothing, the comforts of life to make life manageable. Often things that they could not get on their own by farming or doing different things like that. If they paid off their debt even, they would be set free. They would be, or if someone else paid off their debt, they would uh, uh, be allowed to go free. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 15, 12 through 18 even gives instructions on how to handle freeing slaves. It says, give, of them, give to them liberally of your livestock and what you have. The Bible not only gives instructions on how to free slaves, but it gives instructions on how to free slaves and set them up to be successful on their own. And the, and the command is, give liberally to these slaves and the Lord will bless you for what you've done for them. This is a completely different servanthood than what we saw in America for the early part and the vast majority, honestly, of American history since America was discovered. While they were servants, they were free to go about. They were not held in chains. They would often live a normal life after working hard during the day. They would have children. They would have friends. They would have fellowship. They would get to experience the same things that the Hebrew people experienced. So if there was a feast or a festival, they would experience the feast or the festival. If there was a day off, hey, there was. God instituted it. It was called the Sabbath. They would experience the Sabbath. They were treated as just they were treated just as the same on most levels as God's people were now there was a definitive hierarchy there was a definitive master but it was not like the slavery that we are familiar with as as a matter of fact and you're going to think this is nuts when you hear it but i think if you think it through you're going to be fine with it there are situations in america today that were less desirable than what this form of servanthood is, right? Often people work 12 hours a day or more and with no days off, and they're barely making it financially. Or maybe they work three or four part-time jobs where there's no peace and, and hardly comfort. 
Now, obviously, I'm not trying to glorify servanthood or slavery. Wouldn't we all rather be on the freer end of the spectrum, right? We would all rather be on the freer end of the spectrum. But what I am saying is, and I will hold to this firmly, this form of servanthood was often used as a means of grace for people. And God designed and regulated it in a way that God's people would make it as such for anyone who served under them. As a matter of fact, we can look at the rules for slavery or servanthood, and if we're our own boss, if we're our own boss and we have employees under us, or if we're not our own boss but we have employees under us, we can look at those rules for slavery and servanthood, and we can take some things from it as, as we are trying to learn and deal with, or, or learn how to deal with those under our charge. Really, this form of servanthood and slavery was more like a low-paying, full-time job than what we commonly know as slavery and the way slaves were treated in the Americas. There's another point that should be made about historical slavery. Often slavery was an escape from extreme poverty or to receive a great reward. We have seen this in multiple instances in the Bible. People, people would self-slave. They would self-servanthood. They would give themselves up to slavery. One example, I mean, we, we see it right now in, in our text, and it, it sounds horrible. It sounds like, why would a, a man do this? Verse 7, when a man sells his daughter as a slave, he shall not go out as the male slave, she shall not go out as the male slaves do. If she does not please her master who has designated her for himself, then he shall let her be redeemed. He shall have no right to sell her to foreign people since he has broken faith with her. If he designates her for his son, he shall deal with her as a daughter. If he takes another wife to himself, he shall not diminish her food or clothing or her marital rights. And if he does not do these three things for her, she shall go out for nothing and without payment. We look at our text today and we think, how could a man sell his daughter? And how could the Bible not condemn that? But within the context of that society, within the context of that time, and, and honestly, for most of history, this was more like an arranged marriage. This was, more like God, this was more like a father trying to give his daughter a better life than he could offer her. Again, we would rather be on the more free end of that spectrum, right? You would, you would rather be self-sustaining to where you never had to do something like this. But oftentimes it was live in destitution or give your daughter a better life. This was a father attempting, as hard as it is for our minds to grasp, to show his daughter grace. To show his daughter grace that he could not provide her. Again, this is not a practice that the Bible is condoning, but one that God is regulating. He is addressing to impart holy ideas amongst his people. Look at how he regulates this. He says, if, he's not saying when, he's not saying this should be a normal thing, but he says, if a man sells his daughter, these are the regulations. She shall not go out like the male slaves. If a man sells his daughter, she's not to work the fields. This is not, she is not going to be treated like a regular servant. He says, if the master doesn't want to marry her, then she can be redeemed. If someone comes along and has the money to redeem the price that she was sold at, she can be redeemed, she can be taken, she can be married. Here's another regulation. She cannot be sold to foreigners. This was a protection so that we didn't have a situation like Joseph happening. If a father sold his daughter, chances are he would get to live the rest of his life near or around her, even involved in a similar familial relationship with her, because it was regulated that she could not be sold off to a foreign land. Again, not condoning, but regulating. She cannot be sold to foreigners. If the, the master of the house doesn't want her, he can allow his son to take her. But if he does, she will be treated as a daughter. And here's a, here's a kicker. 
This is another way that God is trying to regulate. He says, if the master decides that he doesn't want her, that her son, the son doesn't want her, or that he takes another wife, here's the deal. He has to give her the same amount of food. He has to give her the best clothing that he was going to give her anyway. And he has to give her conjugal rights. And if he doesn't do those things, she is able to be set free without paying any price. It is on every level trying to regulate how other humans treat other humans in life. With the reality that extreme poverty drove people to do these type of things at different times. Again, this is not God condoning, but it is God redeeming a long-established practice that often provided a better life for the impoverished. There's another form of slavery that was sort of this self-servanthood. Think of, think of a person in the Bible who sold themselves into slavery for a great reward. Can you think of one? There's one glaring instances. Can you think of one? That's not rhetorical. Jacob. Jacob sold himself into seven years of slavery to receive Rachel. This was a very common practice. As a matter of fact, the Old Testament, we know what happened with Laban. We know that Laban tricked him. He deceived him into marrying Leah. And Jacob sold himself into another seven years of slavery. Men, you think it's bad when, you have to, when we have to get up and change a poopy diaper or whatever? Jacob, listen, Jacob puts us all to shame. That's a side, side sermon. But, but, he, but Jacob committed to another seven years for Rachel. Do you know that this was a very common practice? And we know that it was a very common practice because what Laban did was condemned in the Old Testament as one of the greatest injustices that could be done to people. To have them work for you, to promise them a pay, to have them work for you, and then to pull the rug out from under their feet after the long years of service. The way Laban treated Jacob is condemned in the Bible. There are many examples in, in Scripture of slavery or servanthood where a person is given a better life, where they gave themselves up to a better life. Again, not a dream scenario. But this is not a perfect world we live in. Everything we do is affected by the depravity of man and the fall of mankind. And God, in His extreme providence and foreknowledge and sovereignty, is redeeming His people and is redeeming even fallen things. Another thing we need to understand about servanthood is that the law is not condemning or condoning slavery, and I've, I've mentioned this a little bit already, but constraining brutality and injustice amongst God's people. Constraining brutality and injustice amongst God people, God's people. We live in a fallen world, a world where greed and ambition have led many people to do vile and detestable acts, one riddled with the decay of the fall of man. And what we need to understand very specifically, and I'm going to say it probably 100 times in this hour that we have. God is not condoning. God is not necessarily condemning. But God is constraining an act that has resulted from the fallen nature of mankind. Again, you might say, why did God not outright condemn it? I think one reason is that, and this, this, is, this is one of those excerpts that people can take and they could try to hurt me with. I think one of the reasons God did not outright condemn this is because having a servant in your employ that you treat in a godly way and not in an ungodly way is not an ungodly act. Having a servant is not an ungodly act. I truly believe this. This type of servanthood that God is condoning is not different than having employees like I do at an hour, and paying them at an hourly rate. They work for me. They can't work for anyone else. I'm solely responsible for their pay, and they do exactly what I ask them to do. If I want them to come clean my house for the hourly rate, guess what? They come clean my house. Now, I don't think, I don't think this type of servanthood was outlawed because it isn't immoral with the, within the context of the way God describes it. But another reason why God constrains the practice is, is more common to us. We have seen in many ways how outlawing things does not end things. What is your view on outlawing guns? What is your view on that? You don't have to answer that out loud, but think about that. What's your view on outlawing guns? Do you think outlawing guns will end gun violence? 
Okay, you did answer, and I, I knew that that would be the answer. It's fine. I knew that that would be the answer. Do you think outlawing guns will end gun violence? Or, or do you think it would be better to teach people responsible gun ownership and safety to prevent people who have mental disabilities and different things like that from getting laws, make regulations, make uh, getting guns, make regulations, make rules and laws that prevent or help uh, institute, prevent gun violence, help institute gun safety? I personally think we should outlaw abortion. But what is more effective in general, to teach people godly ideas about sex and support them when they mess up, or to create a law against something? Laws don't prevent things from happening. I think, it should, I think abortions should still be outlawed, but they don't prevent things from happening. Or we've seen what the war on drugs have do, has done to the African American community taking fathers out of homes for years or even for life for selling marijuana. Now, I don't think you should partake of marijuana because there's no way to partake of it in a casual sense. You partake of it and you get high. But I don't think that the most effective way to regulate it is to criminalize it. There are at least two examples of where, these are at least two examples of where many of us would say it might be better to regulate than create a law against it might be, regu- be better to uh, inform and, and help people know more about how to effectively operate under these guidances than to make a law against. Regulations were written for people who would follow the Lord. Regulations were written for people who would follow the Lord anyway and who would do what He says and to condemn those, to condemn those who would not last point I would like to make about the Bible and slavery is this. The Bible may not condemn slavery in a sense that we would like it, but the Bible does condemn slavery that was common in the early American history. The Bible does condemn slavery that was common in early American history. Often people say that the Bible condones slavery because it doesn't condemn it. And it is true that American citizens, even Christians, use the Bible to condone the practice of slavery. Even though the Bible doesn't speak of slavery and servanthood in a non-condemning light, the Bible does explicitly condemn the type of slavery that we are most familiar with. I want us to take some time and look at the distinguishable differences between the slavery that the Bible regulates and the slavery that the Bible condemns. What do we know about the slavery in the Americas? It was honestly the most horrific act that Americans have perpetuated on any people in the history of the world. We are still feeling some of the effects of that slavery today. As a matter of fact, you might say that racism from white people to black people and from black people to white people did not cause slavery, but was caused by slavery. And these are effects that even our children's children might be feeling. We know without a doubt that what was perpetuated against African American people or African people during slavery was a horrendous act. Now why was it horrendous? Well, for some of the same reasons that God outlined and outlawed in the Bible. The first is this. American slavery was a horrendous act because men and women and children were stolen from their home and shipped to a foreign land. By 1860, it was estimated that there were 4 million slaves in the U.S. The vast majority had then now, by that point, been born on American soil. But we know this was a horrendous thing to do, and God condemns this act. Deuteronomy 24-7 says, If someone is caught kidnapping a fellow Israelite and treating and treating or selling them as a slave, the kidnapper must die. You must purge the evil from among you. But it wasn't just about the Israelites. Even a little later in our chapter today, in chapter 21, verse 16, anyone who kidnaps someone is to be what? Put to death, whether the victim has been sold or is still in the kidnapper's possession. American slavery was legalized kidnapping, and God did God condemned that as early as the Ten Commandments were given. We know the American slave system was wrong because of the hundreds of thousands of Africans who were sold from, who were stolen from their home, shipped to a foreign land under the worst conditions, and were forced to a lifelong life of servanthood and slavery. 
This is one way we know that the Bible condemns the American slave system. Here's another. American slavery was a horrendous act because men, women, and children were beaten and killed by their masters. The reality of slavery across America, and especially in the American South, is real. It cannot be denied. As a matter of fact, there, there may be some people in our lineage in this room who were slave owners. Some of the greatest theologians had slaves. One that I follow, Jonathan Edwards, had slaves. And even though we hope by the grace of God that he treated them differently, we don't really know. But we do know that God would not condone or regulate beating, whipping, or abuse of any kind on his creation. We know that this is not the type of servanthood that God would condone or regulate, but he actually condemns. Exodus 21, 26-27. When a man strikes the eye of a slave, male or female, and destroys it, he shall be let Uh, He shall let the slave go free because of his eye. If he knocks out his tooth, uh, the tooth of his slave, male or female, he shall let the slave go free because of his tooth. Now this is important. The rule didn't just go for those body parts, but the rule applied to the person themselves. If a person was maimed or injured by their master, they were to be set free. Not only did the Lord regulate servanthood and slavery so that amongst his people it did not look like what it looked like in America, but he also made provisions to release a slave if they ever got to that point. Friends, the rampant abuse and killing of slaves is one reason that we know the Bible condemns slavery like we know it. There's a third way. American slavery was a horrendous act because men, women, and children were considered lifelong possessions and not image bearers of God. This was the way black people were treated in America up until probably the 1900s. Subhuman. In 1900, Charles Carroll wrote a book called The Negro as a Beast, where he argued that black, he- black people were more ape than human. Which, in an argu- which is an argument that Charles Darwin also made. That African American people should have their own species. Should be their own designation, their own category. It was also an argument that slave owners made to keep African American people in bondage. But this is not what the Old Testament or the New Testament teaches. Instead, the Old Testament teaches us regulations that bring humanity and compassion in our dealings with people. From the regulations we have already seen to many more, one of them is, is this. For Hebrew slaves, there was no absolute slavery. In the Americas, there was an absolute slavery. If you were a slave, you were a possession for life. But for Hebrew slaves, there was no absolute slavery. They actually held regulations that helped them in a way to practice the Sabbath. It says if for any reason a Hebrew took on another Hebrew as a slave, he had a maximum of six years as a slave. And on the seventh year he was set free unless the servant said that he loved his master and chose servanthood forever. And when he was set free, like we talked about in Deuteronomy 15, he was given of the livestock. He was set free with a solid place to land on. But not only these laws in the, in the old and new, we see that God's desire, is to see, God's desire for us is to see people as image bearers of God and not property. After all, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, which was the opposite of what happened in American slavery. The idea of treating another human as less or subhuman is what perpetuated the American slave system for all the length of its existence. But it is so far from the idea of what the gospel teaches us and the love that God prescribes from, for, from us to other people. There's one last way that we know that we'll touch on today and we can discuss these things more in depth at MC or whatever that the American slave system was an ungodly slave system. American slavery was a horrendous act because of the Fugitive Slave Act. The Fugitive Slave Act of 1793 and then in 1850 made it criminal to harbor or help slaves escape within the American territories. It was also the law that people had to return slaves if they were found. Not adhering to this could result in jail time, fines, or even vigilante justice where they would be killed. These laws were designed to keep 
people in perpetual slavery, to keep black slaves from escaping to Canada, to keep the economic system of the rich churning along. We know the Bible condemns this type of behavior. We know the Bible condemns perpetual slavery because it was for freedom that Christ set us free. The whole idea of the gospel is an anti-slave to this rigid and ungodly system. One physical and one spiritual. But also we know because, again, on a fourth point, the Bible speaks and condemns this specifically. Deuteronomy 23, 15 says this, You shall not give up You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns, wherever it suits him. You shall not wrong him. The Lord not only made provisions to prevent the American slave system, but he made provisions to help slaves get out of slavery. Condemning the Fugitive Slave Act and the injustice done to escape slaves and those who helped him. It is clear to me after studying this, and if you need some more clarity, I'll punch it into you later, but it's clear to me it is, it was not, it is not the Lord's desire for slavery to be the prominent thing or the, or the, or the most prevalent thing amongst his people. And it is never to be amongst his people in the way that it was perpetuated in the American system. But there was a slavery or a servanthood or whatever you want to call it that is redeemable. One regulated by love and the glory of the Lord. So what can we take away from this practically and personally that helps us today? Number one, we have to realize slavery is and was a reality. Slavery is and was a reality. As much as we want to sort of write these things off, especially as white humans, we want to write these things off as not a reality, as not real. It is and was a reality. We should know enough of the Bible, firstly, to be able to plainly show to others the method and the desire of God in regulating servanthood. I mean, as a matter of fact, I would, remember, I would take my outline today and memorize it. For the next time someone tries to debate you about this, that you can lovingly show them how God condemned the type of slave system and he redeemed another type of slave system. We should condemn, friends, slavery as it is condemned in the Bible. But we should also be sensitive to the fact that the effects of slavery in America are still present. What I'm not saying is this. No matter what people say, you do not owe reparations. You do not owe reparations. Reparations were paid in some way, in some manner, to those who experienced this great atrocity. But you do not owe reparations to great-great-great-great-grandchildren. As a matter of fact, it is anti-biblical and it is antithetical to the restoration of the races. But we shouldn't pretend like slavery didn't exist. And we shouldn't pretend like the, effect, uh, the effects of slavery that covers 70% of the history of the new world will go away after 100 or so years. Do you understand that? If you do the percentages from 1,500 or so to the time slavery was abolished, is about 70% of our existence. We shouldn't just assume that the effects of that will go away after a hundred or so years of the abolishment of slavery and really about 50 to 70 years of treating African Americans on the same level as the rest of society. I would at least expect the, the effects of slavery to be seen for at least as long as it was perpetuated. There is another point. Slavery is real. Slavery existed Slavery still exists, and it is still anti-God. Sex slavery is prevalent in the world today. And I would challenge you, friends, to support and educate yourself on modern-day slavery. And the first place I would start is the International Justice Mission. 
It's an organization. International Justice Mission is an organization that works to free slaves, to free sex slaves across the world. Slavery that God condemns still exists. Slavery is not only a physical reality, it's a spiritual reality. Slavery is a spiritual reality. I'm not trying to really over-spiritualize this as we go, but there is a beautiful gospel message here, and it is one that I have to mention to you. Look at verse 5. But if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go free, then his master shall, be, shall bring him to God, and he shall bring him to the door of the doorpost, and his master shall bore his ear through with an owl, and he shall be his slave forever. How many of you felt, if you, grew up in the, if you grew up in the church, how many of you felt like you were a slave to God out of obligation when you were younger? I know growing up in church I did. I felt every Sunday morning that I was going to Sunday morning gathering out of obligation. I felt when I obeyed my parents, I obeyed my parents out of obligation. Out of obligation to them or obligation to God. I felt when I did other mission activities, especially servanthood, especially things that were difficult, not just the fun Christian things. I felt like I did them out of obligation. But that, that's not what we see here. Because the slave has been set free. And it says, if he's been set free but there's a love there that still exists, then he can willingly put himself in servanthood. Friends, I'm not trying to over-spiritualize this, but this is the message of the gospel. You were once a slave to sin. You were once a slave to the flesh. And you, if you are in Christ, you have been set free. Now, guess what? The choice is yours to willfully and willingly take yourself and put yourself back into bondage. Back into the, or, or into the bondage of Christ Jesus. I love him. This is good for me. I will be a servant. I will be his servant. This is the message This is the reason that we read Luke 4. This is the message that Christ gave. It's the heart of what he was reading in Luke 4. Luke 4, 16 says, And when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, uh, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, (coughs) he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, to read, excuse me, read or read, if you uh, know the English language. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. That is literally talking about slaves. That is literally talking about those enslaved. And recovering of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are impressed, again, slavery, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Friends, the joy of being free in Christ is not that you are free from Christ. The joy in being set free in Christ is that you are free from the tyranny of a condemned evil master whose main goal, whose primary goal is to seek kill, and destroy. And you are placed then in the servanthood of a new master whose goal is freedom, whose goal is kindness, whose goal is compassion, whose goal is love, and whose goal is good for you. Friends, the gospel has set you free so that you may say, I am a servant and I am a slave to Jesus. Not Because I am bound, not because I am forced, not against my will. But because over this time, he has shown his love to me. And I love him. And because I love him, I will serve him. Because I love him, listen, servanthood is not always ideal. We're not always going to like the areas and ways that we serve. But because I love him, 
I will serve. I'll do the hard things. I'll do it not because I'm obligated, but because I love him. Slavery in the, olden, in the ancient times was not ideal. It was not the way things were supposed to be. But God in his providence, in his rich knowledge, in his sovereignty and foreknowledge, set regulations in order to redeem an act that was caused by the fall of mankind. God set regulations so that his people could follow him in love. His people could follow him in truth. And his people could love other people as he prescribed in the Bible. And slavery, as was done in the American system and as done in uh, many other systems across the world, was absolutely and definitively condemned by the Bible in very many objective ways. And now we have a choice in our life. We have a choice to go on being enslaved to the father of lies whose main goal is to seek, kill, and destroy. Or we have a choice to take our freedom and say, I am free, but I would rather, I would rather be in the house of the Lord than anywhere else. So I will willfully and I will willingly place myself under the bondage, under the slavery, under the servanthood of the most pure and holy and kind and compassionate and loving master to ever exist. Pray with me. God, you are so good and you are infinite and holy in all of your ways. You teach us, you show us, and you help us to learn how to live in a way that honors you, that glorifies you, but also loves others. Lord, help us not to be caught up in selfish ambition (coughs) or selfish ways that cause us to do anything against your glory that cause us to do things that harm our brothers. But Lord, let us love you more every day and see every human to ever exist as an image bearer of God himself. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We hope that you are honored by the way we've handled your word today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray and for his sake. Amen.